You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest, Scott Myers. Uh, Scott is the founder of Kingdom Storage Holdings. He's a very experienced self-storage syndicator. So on this show, we talk a lot about multifamily. We're still going to talk about multifamily syndications, but we're going to talk about uh, the differences between multifamily and self-storage, if there is any differences. Um, But Scott has a pretty uh, interesting background. Um, As I mentioned, he's the founder of Kingdom Storage. He's acquired, sold, developed, and converted over 30 facilities totaling over 12,000 units and over 2 million square feet of storage. Um, he has a uh, self-storage education company as well, self-storage profits, selfstorageinvesting.com um, since 2006 and uh, has raised over $40 million uh, for syndications and private equity partnerships uh, for uh, self-storage. He's also got his own uh, podcast, which is the self-storage podcast, who would have thought um, and we're, we're happy to have him on the show comes with a great background and great experience. So I'm excited to hear about your journey, Scott. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Anthony. How are you today? Doing great. Doing great. So tell us how you got into self-storage. Uh, was that your first path of into real estate or was there a prior path? How did this happen? Now, I, I think like uh, most folks, including yourself, when uh, we get involved in commercial real estate, you don't come out of the gate uh, in, in commercial, at least most folks don't. Uh, so it started with single family houses. So uh, bought and uh, rehabbed, refinanced, and then it was uh, renting these out. So the Burr method, uh, essentially, uh, with lease options and uh, hope, hoping that uh, some of these folks would actually purchase the, uh, the, the buildings. Uh, but rarely did they ever do that. And so we were left with that now having to do another uh, rehab and move another uh, renter in there with a lease option and um, did that for a number of years, had about 75 to 78 single family houses. And then uh, the cash flow wasn't where we wanted it, didn't have the free time that I was looking for. So we decided to get into a uh, multifamily. And so we bought um, several smaller, you know, 30 to 70 units uh, apartment complexes, multifamily around central Indiana where I live. And, um, and that was going well. We did syndicate a couple of those. Um, but at, at the end of the day, we realized that, um, you know, slugging it out in the multifamily world until you get to that place with the re- true economies of scale, having larger facilities with a professional management company. And we, we had management companies and we had property managers, but there was just a lot of day-to-day that still involved uh, myself, decision-making and having to keep an eye on a lot of contractors and property managers and companies. And so um, I thought, well, you know, I, I certainly don't want to get out of real estate. Um, I, I, for all the reasons that we love real estate, um, it appreciates. We can borrow money to buy it. Uh, it depreciates. And when you put tenants in, they pay down your basis and pay them off. Um, but I just didn't want to wait to slug it out uh, long enough to get to that place. And so I thought, well, uh, I can either, if I, you know, as they say, real estate's great, right, Anthony, except for tenants. <laughs> so, you know, what, what's left? Uh, that's parking lots and self-storage. And so I began looking into self-storage into the asset class. And I, I just, I really liked what I saw in the metrics, how well it worked, how it was very recession resistant, inflation resistant. And, you know, when, when people moved out or if we had to, if they didn't pay, we could, you know, 
put them into what's called an overlock situation where we literally overlock their unit. We put a lien on it and we sell it like they do in the TV shows and we recoup our, our back rides and late fees. And so the more that I learned about the industry, the more um, I get intrigued, bought my first storage facility and then I never looked back through the years. We've just, we've, we've wound down and sold off um, the houses, um, some individually, some in groups. And then same thing, the, the multifamily just kind of ran its course. You know, we, we held on to them, you know, following our plan, buy, create value and then sell. And so that's what we did with our apartments and then just never went back to really buying any. We got really, really good at self-storage. And um, for us, it seemed like the story was a little bit easier to tell in terms of raising capital because um, it was a, an asset class where it, you know, it wasn't susceptible to some of the challenges that we had in habitational real estate and again, very recession resistant and inflation resistant that you know, we felt this was the, the route to take. And so that is what we've done ever since uh, 2005. So about 15, coming up on 16 years now in, uh, in self-storage. And uh, that's, that's all we do. We, we've done office buildings and we still do some industrial and a few different things along those lines. But, um, you know, and making one shift to the other, it's, it's, it's all in self-storage right now. Awesome. So when you're looking at, um, obviously, you've, you've been in single family, you've been in multifamily. So when you're looking at the risk adjusted returns from multifamily to self-storage, how mm-hmm. different are they for, and I'm not sure what, what type of deals are you doing in self-storage? Are they core? Are they value-add? Are they opportunistic? I mentioned you did a few development deals mm-hmm. so or, re, or conversion deals. So can you mm-hmm. tell us about the risk profile? Yeah, I think it, it, it's all of the above, um, essentially. I mean, if we, it, you, you get to a place where you can only grow so much with your own cash and you begin to syndicate. Um, and it, when you syndicate, that's a whole different ballgame. Everything's a value add, no matter what. So it's either a very poorly run uh, self-storage facility that we're turning around in a two to three year time frame and then creating a 2x multiple uh, in return for our investors. Or, you know, the, the ultimate in value add is to buy a piece of dirt and then put a, an income stream on it, <laughs> build a self-storage facility and then uh, create the income stream. And then in, in four to five years, then either refinance um, and or sell to get our the IRR, the required IRR that our investors are looking for. So um, in, in terms of, um, you know, looking at uh, risk adjusted, you know, we, we had a harder time, I think, finding the multifamily that allowed us to um, really hit those marks consistently as well as uh, in, in a fashion that is really, once again, recession resistant or inflation resistant. So, you know, multifamily is a little more susceptible to outside forces, economic forces versus self-storage. We actually thrive. Uh, during a downturn, self-storage does better during a recession. We've done better during the pandemic. Uh, we've outpaced most of the other asset classes because it is an, a, an essential business. And when businesses downsize or individuals downsize, they put their items in storage. Um, as we're heading into the, the throes of a recession again, you know, we've been preparing for this for since 2012, knowing the, since this is our third recession, you know, what happens in this uh, sector. So for us, it was no longer really um, trying to eke out those returns or try to hit those or match where we had, because uh, we realized that you know rents do go down in, in apartments and they typically go up and continue to go up at a two to three percent clip in self storage. Whereas, you know, underwriting, if you look at the the, the, the cyclical nature of multifamily and, and even single family during a recession, uh, rental rates actually go down. They they take a dip, and so then you have this curve where you need to you know do the 
a, a makeup on that on the back end and hope we get the returns to our investors. And so from that standpoint, we just, um, you know, all, all based on stats, not a, a lot of it I'm out of experience, but also based upon stats, just knowing that we put ourselves in a better position to be able to hit the marks for our investors in industrial and in self-storage than in the other asset classes we were investing in. Sure. Um, so it definitely makes sense. Um, how do you find self-storage deals? I've, I've had, I'm not saying I look for them, but I know that I, I come across them every once in a while, mm-hmm. but how do you, I mean, do you find them through the same channels as through your regular commercial real estate brokers or are they off market more of, is there more inventory? Cause obviously there's a lot more apartment inventory if I had to guess than self-storage mm-hmm. in this country. So mm-hmm. What does that look like in terms of the capital markets and the deal flow side? Sure, sure. So, you know, the the strategy is really not much different, Anthony. It's going out to the brokers, to the commercial brokers, and really to the self-storage brokers. Um, you know, a lot of the larger houses like Marcus Millichap, C.B. Richard Ellis, um, Argus, uh, there's companies that specialize in, in self-storage and self-storage only. And then the bigger commercial houses, then they have a division or an arm. Uh, that specifically relates to self-storage. So creating those relationships with those folks, telling them what we're looking for, that we're looking for the real difficult turnaround deals that their buyers list uh, may not want or that are difficult to fund, That, but we can get across the finish line because we we have private equity and we can take them down a lot easier. Um, direct mail has still been a, a good provider for us. So no different than multifamily in that nature that we're buying lists, acquiring lists, and then curating and scrubbing those over and over and sending mailers out on a regular basis to those owners. And um, that, you know, in hopes that when they are ready to sell, that uh, they are not going to go the broker route, but they will you know, answer our letters or at the very least give us a, a seat at the table to see if there's a way that we can work out a project. Uh, with self-storage, there's also a lot of these mom and pop owners feel as if, well, not feel as if they, they know that they own a business and real estate. It, it's both. And so when it comes time for them to sell, many times they will contact a, a commercial business broker or um, they'll list it on a business brokerage website versus the traditional real estate circles or even self-storage. And so, so we comb you know, that entire side of the industry looking for those folks and those listings uh, that are on the small business side of the house versus on a real estate. And then canvassing and pulling on doors in the markets that we're operating in, you know, as we're doing our market analysis and after certainly after we close on a facility, then we're, they're really hitting that market to try to get even more economies of scale and uh, buying up uh, the competitors in the market as much as we can when they are ready to, to be able to sell. So you know, there's you know, about 10 different ways that we are looking for facilities and marketing, but uh, those are the main ones. Um, and as you mentioned, we have, we have an education company, so I have a lot of students, a lot of folks that we have uh, trained and people that we consult with where, that we teach them how to go out and find and, and market these facilities. And so many times they, they find uh, either too many deals that they can't take them all down or some of these projects are too large or they need to have a, a partnership or do a joint venture for credit purposes or equity to bring, for us to bring equity to the table. And so we have a lot of deals that um, get presented to us in that fashion. And um, just being active, uh, no different than the syndication side. You know, I write a lot of articles. I speak for the trade associations. And so our name is out there. Our company's name is out there. And uh, just by nature of being uh, present and uh, doing the exact same things that you're doing, Anthony, you know, deals land on your desk when, when people know about you and what you do. Sure. Um, can you talk a little bit about the metrics that may be a little bit different and also similar to multifamily? So multifamily, we look at price per unit, cap yeah. rate. Are all those same metrics applied to self-storage? 
Yeah, as you know, you know, cap rate is kind of the leveling field for anything. You know, it's NOI and applying a cap rate, and some of that is you know geographically specific, depending on parts of the country. But mostly, it's just it's tied to uh, the interest rate right now, and all relates to the yield. You know, what type of a yield you're getting in terms of, of an investment. So that that is roughly the same right now, with the exception of, of self storage right now in terms of cap rate. Um, versus uh, the NOI and sales price right now. Uh, we just saw a report that came out last week by Yardi, which is the, the, the largest data gathering uh, company in our industry, is showing a, a yield uh, spread of 620 basis points in self-storage, which is outpacing all the other asset classes in terms of return sure. on investment. And so, you know, again, we're, we're very bullish on, on storage and, and those are the metrics that we follow um, in terms of the cost of capital, the yield that we're getting on our, you know, in returns on our money. But then as, on the syndication side of the business, as you know, we're, I mean, we're in the money business. It's just, you know, we're putting out projects um, to our investors and to our, our database and it's up to them to then choose to say, you know, this project is five years long versus this one that's three years. There's an equity multiple of two. This one's 1.95. And uh, a preferred return may, and, and returns that are happening a little sooner, distributions that are coming a little sooner, uh, you know, all, those are all factors that uh, allow us to raise the capital and get people involved in our projects. And so we're always cautious of what we're putting out there in the marketplace. And so uh, from that standpoint, you know, we have the ability to find some strong projects and raise the capital very quickly because we have the, once again, the benefit of having that large yield spread in self-storage right now, uh, which allows uh, us and our investors to make uh, money a little bit easier in self-storage than we had in the other asset classes. Okay. Um, when you're talking about um, self-storage and financing, so mm -hmm. how, how are these deals financed differently than multifamily? Because multifamily, you have agency debt. Fannie, Freddie, mm -hmm. you know, local bank debt. How does self-storage typically finance? Is it similar yeah. or different? It is very, very similar with one exception. Um, in, in terms of uh, straight commercial debt that we're looking at uh, right now, for the most part, we're going to, you know, two or three places. So one being uh, if it already has debt on it with, with a bank, a local bank credit union, we're obviously going to go back to them to see if they want to underwrite it. Um, the community bank's um, credit unions, the one, two, three, five branch uh, banks in those uh, markets, uh, the small business bankers, you know, they love self-storage to portfolio it because, um, again, it's just strong for their balance sheet because it does very well. They can understand it. It's a simple, predictable business model, does very well during a recession. So those folks are gobbling it up. Uh, we also have the SBA, which has uh, the 504 and the 7A programs. And the SBA is, these programs are only available to self-storage because the SBA is a small business lender. And so they recognize self-storage as a small business. And so they will go up to 85% LTV. They have a 650 credit score is, is what they're looking for. But uh, all along the way, the rates and terms are more beneficial that we see with the local banks um, because they're in the business of getting money out into the market to grow businesses and to grow jobs. And so from that standpoint, it's another feather in our cap, if you will, on this, uh, this side that allows us to get um, higher LTV and at lower rates and uh, with folks that are chasing that. Then uh, we've got brokers that have relationships with um, insurance uh, companies, pension funds. Uh, they too are all scrambling to get a hold of storage deals, especially right now, because once again, it's very, uh, it doesn't fluctuate very much. Uh, does well during a recession, does well during uh, good times. And so through the broker network and channel, uh, we have access to a lot of different pools of money that are outside of uh, just lending relationships in general uh, that we have to be able to partner with. Right. No, that, that makes sense. Um, and in terms of 
the the deal sizes. So typically, let's just say multifamily one apartment in New Jersey costs a hundred thousand dollars a door. Let's just say, mm-hmm. what would one storage unit theoretically cost? I know you mentioned you're in Indiana. You said yes. So right. and wherever wherever you're purchasing the storage units, like mm-hmm. how is that relative? And what would be the relative rent, let's say that unit goes for a thousand dollars, a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollar unit. It's a one bedroom apartment. Yeah. What what would be relative for storage for one storage unit? Sure. Well, any you know, just like any other commercial asset class, if we're looking at um, net operating income and, and, and a cap rate, you know, the, the, everything else is essentially irrelevant. However, because um, you could be you could be paying a million dollars an acre in LA and build an apartment complex that's going to generate more rent. Same thing with a self storage facility; it's going to generate more rent versus rural Mississippi or even a rural Indiana. So, you know, a ten by ten in the most rural of locations could be going um, for thirty five dollars a month. Um, a ten by ten that's um, whether it's non or climate controlled or non climate controlled in, in LA or downtown Miami or anywhere else um, that could be one hundred fifty dollars a month. And so. Um, again, it all depends upon uh, the market and what we're looking at. So um, cost per unit or cost per door, anywhere from $3,000 a door, you know, on up to, to $15,000 a, a door, um, as low as uh, being able to buy it for $25 a square foot or less uh, to over $125 um, a square foot, um, all dependent upon class A, B, or C and what market it's in. So I don't know if that answers your question, Anthony, but it is, um, you know, kind of similar for all commercial real estate. It's just, you know, very, very geographic specific and and then asset within the asset class, A, B, or C type. Sure. Can you talk a little bit more about occupancy and lease up for storage? Mm -hmm. So we, so in full disclosure, we own about 33 storage units Mm -hmm. and they do pretty well. It's Mm -hmm. actually in conjunction with one of our multifamily properties Mm -hmm. and does very well. Um, I did notice that it does take a little bit longer to lease than apartments, um, at least in my my property. So I don't know what your experience is. The, the average occupancy is a little bit lower than the 95 on the multi. It's maybe around 92 mm-hmm. or so on the storage. What what has been your experience? Yeah, so um, so let's tackle that one first. In terms of uh, average occupancy across the country right now, yeah, right around 92. I think 93 is what what I've yeah. seen. We we underwrite, um, and most banks um, accept and underwrite at 85 percent being stabilized. Uh, if it's a Class A facility, then it should be 90, um, and that's that's how, what we do for underwriting purposes. So so that keeps us conservative with the banks as well as uh, with our with private equity. Um, the good news is, is that um, the average break-even occupancy for us is right around 67%, whereas um, with multifamily, at least when I was in, it was somewhere around 82%. So 82 to 95 is a smaller spread than 67 to, to, to 90. Um, so in terms of lease-up, what we were seeing is, um, you know, again, all dependent upon the market. If we've done our homework on a development project, um, we should be, you know, plugging along at 20 to, to 30 units a, a month during a lease-up. And, uh, and that's net because you may have 35 or 40 uh, move-ins and then have some move-outs um, because it is a little bit more fluid. Our, our leases are um, 30 days uh, long. They're not 12 months. However, our average tenancy is anywhere, depending upon the site, is anywhere from 9 to 13 months on, on average. So um, some projects go a little slower than others. It's usually dependent upon the market and what type of marketing that, that we're doing and pricing uh, all, all figures into that. Uh, we also take a little bit of a, a dive uh, through the winter, uh, but then extreme lease up in the in the springtime again when uh, people are moving and doing uh, different projects uh, and what have you. So we have a, a little bit of a cyclical nature, but uh, it doesn't fluctuate uh, too much throughout the year. Got it. 
Could you talk a little bit about the management? So you mentioned that you do month to month, basically month to month leases mm -hmm. is what I'm gathering. Mm -hmm. um, so in self-storage, is there like an on-site, how do you staff these properties? Mm -hmm. Is there an on-site leasing team? What, how does that, how does that work? Yeah, a couple of ways that we can go. Um, we, we use third-party property management companies and they, in, in many of our facilities are class A facilities that are you know, anywhere from um, 500 to 1,000 units. So we typically will have one to one and a half staff uh, on site. And that's because at those sites, um, it generates a lot of activity. But we also, one of the goals is to generate more revenue and drive that NOI uh, by offering ancillary income streams. And so renting U-Haul trucks, um, you know, that person behind the counter is really a salesperson as well, like a, like a property manager um, or the, the sales associate behind the desk in an apartment complex on, you know, whether they need um, insurance, um, selling locks, boxes, and moving supplies, and any other services, our, our boats and RVs, they can get detailing services, they can have concierge services. There's a number of different ways that we can drive that average rental up. And, and it makes sense of having that person in there. Now, um, the beauty of our industry is that we can also rent units that, at facilities that are unmanned. We can have a thousand unit facility that is completely unmanned and the kiosk is basically handling this. Uh, we're, we're in that place now where we, we have an office that is really small. Now it's more like a, a vestibule and, it, and when you walk into the office, it has the sizes of the units built out um, a 10 by 10, 10 by 15, 10 by 20 with a video monitor inside that shows what will fit inside each one of those. And then they walk up to one of two stations that are a kiosk, but it's basically two iPads on a stand connected to the property management software. And then a video uh, monitor uh, that connects to a call center so that if they have a question in the rental process that they can um, hit a button and they can be contacted with the call center. But everything is done uh, by way of either a smartphone now from a responsive website, or if they walk into the, uh, the facility, everything is done uh, by way of a kiosk and utilizing technology. I mean, it, it's, it's a very low labor intensive type transaction anyways. We don't really have to have a salesperson like an apartment complex where they want to walk around, they want to see the various units, they want to know about the school system. You know, this we're talking about a commodity. It needs to be safe, clean, secure, close by, and they need to be able to check this off their list um, of things to do that day. And if we make it easy for them to do instead of having to shop around, people don't shop around for storage units. Um, you know, if it fits their criteria, you know, they're 90% of the way there by the time they've already looked on their phone um, at your website. And if they can reserve a unit and rent it um, by way of their phone or coming in and do utilizing a kiosk 24 seven to be able to rent a unit and move their stuff in or out, uh, that's what usually wins the day. So uh, we have unmanned facilities, we have fully staffed facilities and we have a blending of both so that after hours they can come in at any time and they can rent a unit, make a payment, do anything that they need to just as if uh, there was somebody in there inside the office. Interesting. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned the eviction process a little bit for mm -hmm. self-storage units. Um, would you say, what would be the average like collection loss on a self-storage project mm -hmm. um, of mm -hmm. yours? Now it doesn't have to be yours, but just in general, um, mm -hmm. because yeah, you got to think about, like you said, mm -hmm. I forget what the term, what was the term you used? What is it called? So it's a lien law that we go through. We have lean the protection law. of the lien laws and then okay. what's called an overlock situation, which is a you know, part of this whole process. So um, we, we don't have evictions. That's the beauty of self-storage is we have the protection of the lien laws. So um, eviction and eviction laws uh, protect the tenant, uh, whereas lien laws protect uh, us. And, and this is probably, Anthony, the single biggest reason why I made the, the switch to self-storage. 
Um, we we add we manage to five percent of our rent to be outstanding beyond thirty days. That that that's our goal is to have no more than five percent of our rent outstanding beyond thirty days. Well, in with the lien laws and self storage on the sixth of the month, um, we lock our units down. Either it, you know old style, the manager would go around and put an overlock, you know, round disc lock on the on the units. Uh, there's a place for two locks, one for the clients, one for ours. Um, nowadays, it's all electronic, you know, so it's we've got locks on the insides of the doors and it just at the sixth of the month, property management software knows that they haven't paid, it locks them down. And the only way to get into their unit and get their stuff is to pay. There's no other way to get into that unit. And so either they pay and with late fees. So we, we get 100% of our late fees. No, no questions asked because they can't get into the unit until they do. So that's the only time it's uh, it's unlocked. And if they don't and they go AWOL, um, they're gone for 60 or 90 days. Um, in, in almost all states, it's a 90-day process. And after 90 days, um, it, we've advertised, we've gone through the process of getting certified mail. Um, but if they haven't, then we have the right to um, take their lock off, open it up and auction the unit off. Uh, again, like auction hunters and storage wars, uh, like you see on TV, the process is very similar. And so we sell their unit off and, and we recoup our back rents and our late fees. And so from that standpoint, you know, we, we get to control it. We are the judge. We are the jury. We don't have to go to small claims court and have the judge rule in favor of the tenant as they did over and over and over again. Um, it's, there, there's no questions asked. And um, in many cases, we, we sell it for more than what was owed and we send that money even back to the last known name and address. In some instances, it's less than what was owed in back rents and late fees. But at the end of the day, um, after 90 days, I'm recouping almost all of it. And then uh, when the when the auction is done, that person moves everything. Uh, either they move it out and they they blow it out and before we give them their deposit back, we're ready to re-rent it within an hour. Um, or when they buy it, they may keep it there for a while and then piecemeal it off to sell it. And in that case, then we've created a, another rental immediately. So the day that we sell it, if we got full price, it's rented again immediately by somebody else and there's no gap. And so when we began to run our numbers um, in, in terms of collection loss and, you know, our, our, we were averaging about thirteen dollars to $1,500 a turn in our apartments, you know, to, you know, lost rent, get at least up, clean carpets, replace carpets and what have you. And in storage, um, it is a fraction of that because we release it immediately. We blow it out with a blower. It's, it's a concrete slab with a metal box on it. And we've been able to recoup our money by way of the, um, uh, the lien laws and, and collecting through a sale. So that that alone was worth the price of admission for us to, to make the switch over to self-storage. Sure. And how long? So do you have a partnership with an like different auction houses that you, you work with, essentially? Or? We will. So we'll, we'll bring some of those folks in um, at the smaller facilities. Our managers can do it. Uh, the lien laws are very specific in every state. And uh, we have forms for each one of those. And um, we can handle that internally. Uh, but typically, we do outsource that and uh, have somebody else um, handle it. Plus, uh, now, recently, we're doing it online. Uh, we can open it up. We can take pictures and put it online. And everything is you know, completely legal. We follow the, the letter of the law and everything is stated so that we don't have to have an auction and we don't have to hire a company to do it. We take pictures and then uh, let um, the, the bidding <laughs> wars begin online. And then uh, they show up and, and take their, their goods out once they've uh, paid in full for the unit. And they clean it out. Interesting. And And... So is, I guess your staff kind of deals with that mm -hmm. for the most Correct. part, but it, it sounds situational um, mm -hmm. and property specific, right? Correct. Yeah. But I, I have no hand in that. Um, you know, so the property manager management company handles um, any and all of that. Awesome. So what's next for you, Scott? Are you, you looking at your underwriting deals now? Are you, are you looking at buying more? What, what's the next step for you and in, in your business? 
Yeah, so we're, we're, we're still, we've got development projects coming out of ground right now. We're not looking at those as heavily because uh, the banks have, um, you know, they've kind of peeled back the, you know, the rates and the terms aren't as favorable on speculative type deals, just like they always do when we head into a recession. So we're looking at more existing facilities turnaround um, that may be just mismanaged um, in the path of progress that, that could use expansion or whether the, the owners have just, you know, they've just run out of capital and they're scared of competition. They may be scared of the, the looming recession or COVID or what have you. And um, being an oppor- opportunistic, as you mentioned at the top of the show, um, looking for those uh, projects that come along that have a value add component that we can um, raise the capital for, put the capital into and turn the projects around and either refinance or sell. Excellent. How could people find you, Scott? I know I mentioned a lot of different avenues, but on mm-hmm. to tell our audience. Yep. You can find us on uh, LinkedIn and on uh, Facebook, but to find out more about what we're doing and to kind of get a little peek behind the curtain, you can go to PassiveStorageInvesting.com and um, talks all about what we're doing on the syndication and the development and acquisition side of the house. And then uh, also a free report that uh, we're giving out to folks uh, just to try to uh, what level the playing field as well and, and not have so many newbies out there bidding against us uh, by giving them some education and teaching them about the, the mistakes, the seven mistakes that investors, new investors make in self-storage and how to avoid them. So you can head on over to PassiveStorageInvesting.com, pull that down, take a look at what we're doing. And yeah, I'd love to have a conversation or chat with anybody if we can help in any way. Excellent, Scott. Uh, definitely encourage our listeners to download that free ebook. Um, since Scott is giving that away for free, take advantage of it. And uh, if you could please uh, go on iTunes and, and rate and review our show, it would tremendously help um, our rankings and, and to help Scott and myself get our message out to more viewers. So we would appreciate if you did that. And we'll have a link to uh, Scott's website as well as his podcasts um, in our social media description on iTunes. So you can feel free to check out Scott's content because he has a lot of it and it's all good for information. Um, whenever you get the chance. So uh, again, want to thank Scott for uh, spending his time with us today on the show and hope to have him on again in the near future. Yeah, it's been an honor, Anthony. Thanks so much. Thank you.